0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Jody Heiss filling in for Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Glad to have you on board with us today. Tony will be back with us, as I said, next week, but today I'm filling in for him, Jody Heiss. I'm a representative U.S. Representative from the state of Georgia. have been on this program many times over the years, and it's an honor to fill in for Tony today. For those of you who may not know me, I formerly was a pastor before coming to Congress. I served as a pastor for about 25 years, and through a series of events that uh, really became national-focused issues, uh, the Lord changed directions in my life, and now I'm in Washington. And among other things, besides being a pastor, was also on the radio myself for about 10 years before coming to Washington. And I can tell you, uh, no one does a better job reaching out to the Christian community on Capitol Hill than does Tony Perkins and Family Research Council. So it's an honor to be filling in for him today, and we welcome you on board. We've got a great program lined up. I think probably the number one issue taking the news today obviously is the coronavirus. Everyone is talking about it. So we are going to begin the program here in just a few moments with another fellow representative from the great state of North Carolina. A medical doctor, Dr. Greg Murphy will be joining us here in just a few moments. And we are going to be discussing the coronavirus, and we will be taking your questions. So let me go ahead now and give you the phone number if you'd like to call in and ask a question to Dr. Murphy. The number you can reach us at is 866-372-7234. Again, 866-372-7234. A little bit later, we're going to be joined by Matt Boyle with Breitbart News News. He is the Washington political editor for Breitbart. As many of you know, CPAC is taking place right now in Washington, D.C., and tomorrow I'm actually going to be sharing with Matt on a panel discussing the witch hunt that has been taking place with the president that led to the whole impeachment hoax. Uh, Matt will be joining us, and you don't want to miss that. It's going to be a great time. And then a little bit later on, Mary Beth Waddell who is the senior legislative assistant at FRC along with Hiram Sasser who is the executive director or executive general counsel for First Liberty Institute will be joining us. Yesterday there was a very important hearing on Capitol Hill regarding religious liberties and the LGBTQ community uh, and the rights therein. It was an extremely uh, powerful at time intense Hearing, And so we're going to be talking about that in greater depth. So a great program. But uh, after spending months pursuing impeachment, congressional Democrats are looking to find new ways to blame President Trump as he is responding to the coronavirus. Last month, and I think this largely is going unnoticed in the media, but last month, the president undertook an unprecedented, frankly, a very aggressive response to the virus but that's been ignored by the media and Democrats who have absolutely been consumed by impeachment. But far more important than the politics of the virus, Americans need to, do, need to know what to know about this virus and what to do regarding it. So joining me now is Dr. Greg Murphy, who represents North Carolina's 3rd Congressional District. And he is here to answer that question for us. Dr. Murphy, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch.
2: Thank you uh, so much, Jody. Happy to be here.
1: Was well, glad glad to uh, have you joining us. All right, let's begin with this big question that everyone wants to know: What do Americans need to do about this virus?
2: Well, I think it's important to put it in context. Unfortunately, and let me just say this from the get go: Unfortunately, the uh, media is flanting is fanning a lot of flames right now. What we need to know is this virus originated uh, out of China in December of nineteen. And uh, unfortunately, we have gotten past the point of containment within a region. We were able to contain Ebola, uh, but we've not been able to contain this virus. Now, let me also just make a a, a very stark comparison and the difference between some of these viruses. The Ebola virus, if you, uh, if you contracted it, you had about a 90% chance of dying from that virus. Now, it recently, the last few years ago, there was the SARS and the MERS virus, both of those actually coronaviruses and they had a lethality rate of about 10%. What we're finding out with this particular uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, is that the lethality rate here in the United States, or actually outside of China, has been less than 1%. So it is not nearly as lethal as the other viruses that have been encountered.
1: Well, thats uh, I know that in itself is encouraging news to people. You know, how then do you explain... The fear that's that's going on. I, I I think there's a it seems to be at least a global panic that's taking place. What you, what you, well what's your response I, to that? I,
2: yeah, Jody, thank you. I think that's uh, that's very um, that's very appropriate. And I think the media is playing a large part in this. Um, you know, the one thing about the uh, the COVID virus, which is the bad part of this, is you can carry the virus around for two weeks and not know it and still be transmitting it. And so what the president did, and again, he's not gotten any credit for it, is he shut down flights immediately from China and really restricted uh, the initial outflux of people who were infected with the virus. That has tremendously curtailed uh, the episodes or, or the cases so far. Now, um, what we need to do about this virus is actually be smart. The virus is easily deactivated by, uh, with hand-washing techniques, with using Purell, those alcohol-based sanitizers. And just, uh, you know, we're going to have to change our habits a little bit, but there is no reason whatsoever for um, panic. You know, a lot of people have put a big rush now on getting masks, face masks. Those are totally not necessary. The face masks do zero, do nothing to prevent somebody from getting the virus. What they do is if somebody has the virus, it decreases the amount of secretions that they actually push out. So, again, it really goes back to basic techniques of just making sure you're washing your hands, and, um, you know, we're going to decrease the amount of human contact, handshaking, those kind of things in the next few months, and hopefully uh, this will not nearly be the calamity that some are screaming that it's going to be.
1: So so what is it about this virus that is creating such an uproar? I mean, uh, you, you mentioned it could last a couple of weeks uh, before a person starts showing symptoms. Is that what I understood?
2: That is correct. Somebody can have the virus for a couple weeks. And And actually be um, spreading it. Yeah, they can. They can be. But, again, these are people who have been to China, been to some of these other places that we are screening at our borders uh, um, in a very, very efficient and intentional manner. You know, what's what's scary about the virus is when you get sick, again, the very small number of individuals that really, really get sick from this virus – Um, There are certain ways that we can tell, uh, certain tests that we can tell, but then there's also imaging studies, a a CAT scan of the chest that is showing some promise as to who's going to, as to tell us who is going to become really sick from the virus. So we're going to see a lot more of that. You know, one of the scary things is that uh, our hospital system in a lot of places is at capacity now, and having a new influx of individuals who are sick is going to really put a tax on our system. Uh, Well, to be honest with you, people need to worry more about getting the flu, the regular flu. And if they haven't had their flu shot, by God, they ought to run out and get it. Um, Then then today, rather than the coronavirus, right, really at this very moment.
1: Well, great point with that. You know, one thing that has been somewhat startling, not surprising to me, is the reaction of many on the left to Vice President Pence. Being involved in in trying to bring forth a national response, I have an example of one of those. Don Lemon on CNN. If we can play that clip,
0: I have a problem with someone who's who's allowing people to die because he doesn't want to look at science and to save lives. And I don't have a problem with anybody
2: praying on anything, but if you're a dying because you're not looking at a science, I have I do have a problem with that.
1: All right, Dr. Murphy, what do we say to that? I mean, this, it's just an unnecessary. Uh, a shot at the vice president. I'm, uh, do you have a response? It's,
2: it's flat out absurd. Uh, that, you know, it's flat out absurd. You know, people have said, what does he know about uh, science? What does he know about infectious disease? He doesn't have to know anything about them. You know, a leader is someone who gathers around them smart individuals uh, of different uh, areas of expertise and helps coordinate a response. That's what a leader does in these particular situations. You know, Mike Pence was the governor of Indiana, did an excellent job there, and that's what he is doing. He's leading the effort. He will have doctors in the room. He'll have epidemiologists. He'll have hospital administrators. He'll have military in the room, all putting their their heads together and their their areas of expertise together to continue to amount a response to this problem. So that's, that's irresponsible reporting.
1: Well, it it really is, and he is, as you said, surrounding himself with some of the brightest minds in the country to address this problem. Obviously, he's not uh, relying on his own medical expertise because that's limited. So he is surrounding himself with the best of the best to help work through this in terms of the facts. But when it comes to prayer, for crying out loud, you know what, I, I want people praying for our country and for protection on this. We The more, the better as it comes to addressing what could be a pandemic-type scenario in our country. And so I totally agree with you. Let's talk about, uh, real quickly, uh, the recoveries. I mean, we're, we're talking about in twofold. Number one, just a recovery if someone does catch this virus. What kind of time frame are they looking at? And the potential of vaccines. What's out there on the horizon in terms of dealing with this?
2: Uh, let me uh, let me speak to vaccines first, Jody. Um, at this point in time, we do not have a vaccine. And having spoken with uh, uh, several infectious disease experts uh, really across the country, it may be up to a year until we have a vaccine. And so the treatment for it really is what the treatment for influenza, what the flu is today. It is supportive treatment. And if somebody's lungs uh, develop a severe inflammatory response or they get a bacterial pneumonia, um, it is sometimes ICU monitoring, sometimes even being put on a ventilator. And so, um, you know, in, in some individuals, this will be um, a deathly illness, just like the flu, just like influenza is. We lose 40,000 people every year to the flu in the United States. And so, you know, uh, again, it's education. It's not panic. You know, unfortunately, uh, I think the press, as they're running around trying to get, make a headline with everything, has done the American people a great disservice.
1: Well, what about uh, who, who are the most likely vulnerable people for this virus? Are we talking children? Are we talking elderly? Are we talking just everyday people who are out and about their work and their business every day? What, who are the, the vulnerable uh, individuals here?
2: The most, and the most vulnerable are our elderly um, they oftentimes uh, as we get older get pre-existing lung conditions if they've been a smoker or if they've had chronic asthma those are the people uh, who are most at risk Anyone else who is immunocompromised of, of any age will be at a higher risk also but it's primarily our elderly uh, that are that are most at risk
1: so when we're talking about young children at this point it's looking okay for them
2: Uh, Well, I mean, everything is guarded. I mean, everybody is a a unique situation. But if you look at population studies, nobody under the age of nine uh, outside of, uh, uh, in the United States anyway, has been infected. And the vast majority of people who are going to be infected with the virus um, will have flu-like symptoms and be fine.
1: Coming up, we are going to continue this conversation with Dr. Greg Murphy. And we will be taking your questions about the coronavirus. So we encourage you to call in with your questions, and you'll get some answers straight from the doctor. That number is 866-372-7234. Again, 866-372-7234. We'll be right back on Washington Watch.
3: In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy in the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion.
4: China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China.
5: What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at FRCblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreamed sexual exploitation, transgender regret the rise of the detransitioners and many more stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com
0: what other trip to israel can you take that combines walking where jesus walked with meeting today's israeli leaders This is Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council, inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me, General Jerry Boykin, and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155.
5: We all need to be lectured sometimes. You're listening to Washington Watch.
1: Glad to have you joining us today. Jody Heiss filling in for Tony Perkins, who will be back with us next week. We are right now in a conversation with Dr. Greg Murphy, a representative from North Carolina's 3rd Congressional District. We're talking about the coronavirus in this segment, and we are answering your questions. We're going to get to as many of your questions as we can. If you've not heard, you can call us at 866 372-7234. all right let's uh, go first to gina in temple texas gina thank you for joining us on washington watch
6: hi good good to get on the show
1: glad to have you you've got uh, dr greg murphy on the phone with you what's your question
6: I work in the medical field, and normally we put
1: coronavirus patients in a droplet ISO, but we've been told that if they have this new Wuhan uh, coronavirus, it'll be an airborne. Uh, What's the difference between those? Why would they do that?
2: Uh, I'm not sure, to be uh, honest with you, what institution is going to do differently. I'm not a a doctor of infectious disease, what they're doing, you know, the different types of isolation, droplet isolation, blood isolation, um, or secretion isolation, I think right now, because so much is not known about the virus, that we're trying to be as extremely cautious as possible. And as, as time progresses and as we learn more about this, our response will obviously be tailored to what needs to be uh, done best for our patients and the communities.
1: But the airborne aspect of this, again, going back to wearing of the masks and that type of thing, uh, obviously there's a grave concern that this is spread uh, not only by germs, and, and so we uh, help ourselves by keeping our hands clean, that type of thing. But uh, the airborne nature, again, the masks are not effective whatsoever, correct? Uh,
2: the, the type of masks that you, you have to have an exceedingly specialized type of mask, that really is able to restrict these type of uh, viruses and these type of uh, contagions from people inhaling them. Your your run-of-the-mill surgical mask does nothing uh, prevent that whatsoever. Again, the surgical masks actually have their efficacy questioned in surgery because all they're doing is preventing secretions, droplets, or whatever from coming out of somebody's uh, mouth and nasal passages.
1: Very good, Gina. Thank you for calling. Let's go now to Kelly in Macon, Georgia.
2: Well, hello,
6: thank
7: you very much for being on the show.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. What's your question?
7: I guess my, I'm i sorry. Uh, my question is, do you
2: know whether or not their utilities went out during uh, the outbreak of the coronavirus, whether or not they had gas electricity and lights? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Couldn't quite understand it. Uh,
6: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. I
7: was just wondering, you know, do you have any information as to whether or not um, – that, uh, you know, their utilities turned off at the time, you know, the worst of the pandemic, created uh, creates such a situation where people couldn't go to work and go and, uh, and to work the jobs
6: uh, during the weekend. Uh, well, you
2: know, I, I think what's going to happen in the United States, and again, not being a fearmonger, is over the next several weeks and then several months, we're going to see a decrease in the amount of people going to work, more telecommuting, and just being out less amongst populations. And, uh, you know, the Chinese have been exceedingly uh, secretive in what they have done with their country um, as far as their exposures and their death rates, uh, et cetera. But what we're going to see, and and I think this is not any cause for panic, is that people are going to be more telecommuting. There are going to be more teleconferences for a while, less travel. And that's just a way to decrease your chance of being exposed to the virus.
1: All right, Kelly, thank you for your question. Uh, Again, if you'd like to get in quickly, we don't have much more time. If you'd like to ask a question to Dr. Greg Murphy, our number is 866-372-7234. All right, uh, let me ask you this. As far as what's happening directly here in the United States, we have, as I understand it, 15 confirmed cases that actually have happened here in the United States, and then we have brought in another 45 or so individuals uh, who have repatriated uh, so we're only talking about 60 people. But, again, the potential is out there with what's happening now in in Italy. And, uh, of course, Iran is not just China anymore. So it is a question of when, not if. Is that correct?
2: Uh, that is correct. I mean, the virus is going to come. There's not way we, we have already passed the stage of containment. It's going to be the stage of mitigation, of just trying to lessen the effects of the uh, of the spread of this virus in the United States.
1: All right, let's go to Juan now in Virginia. Thank you for calling.
7: Hi. Okay. Um, sorry, I dropped my phone.
1: Okay, you're, you you're on Washington Watch, yes.
7: Yes, hi. So I just have a comment. I think, um, you know, the, the spread of the, of the virus uh I think there's a big misunderstanding. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in in China, every, every, uh, it's very combined. I mean, there are a lot of people. They live in, uh, very closely together. Um, their nutrition is very poor. So their immune systems, uh, I, I imagine are, are, uh, pretty much shot and, uh, they can't defend against the virus like, uh, like we can. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with the, uh, high infection rate and, and mortality. Um, you know, uh, I may be wrong, but I don't know what your comment would be about that.
1: Great, great point, Juan. All right, we do have the best facilities, the best doctors in the world. Uh, how, are, how do we measure up, Dr. Murphy?
2: Yeah, Jody, that's uh, spot on. We, uh, by far, lead the world as far as our ability to deal with uh, infectious disease pandemics in the United States compared to any other nation in the world. As far as the general health of the Chinese people, and what's going on in China, I would agree um, mostly with what you said. But, again, we're seeing this uh, as major, as a major uh, problem for older individuals and those who are immunocompromised. There's a lot we do not know about China because, as usual, the communists have been very secretive about what's going on in their country. So, again, we're just uh, amounting a good response here in the United States, an appropriate response uh, to what, um, you know, could happen.
1: All right, we've got about 30 seconds. We have a vet in Louisiana. Be quick, and we'll get a quick answer.
4: Sure. I just wanted to ask the doctor if he could speak more to more of hand washing for people and what they can do to eat a healthy diet and possibly take some supplements, vitamin D, and things that would help well, their immune system. Well, I think
2: anything that, you do, anything that you do for a healthy lifestyle doesn't need to change today. No new supplements, regular vitamin every day, and just washing your hands like you would for any day during cold season or flu season.
1: Thank you so much, Yvette, and Dr. Greg Murphy, representing North Carolina's 3rd Congressional District. Thank you so much for joining us today on Washington Watch. Great to have you.
2: Thank you. All right, coming
1: up, thank you. Coming up, Breitbart reporter Matt Boyle joins me to preview our panel discussion at this week's CPAC. Welcome to Washington Watch. Glad to have you with us today. Jody Heiss filling in for Tony Perkins, who will be back with us next week. We are joining, uh, joining the program now is Matt Boyle. Earlier in the show, we, uh, saw in earlier this whole thing. Let me just tell you, we have watched the last couple of years, the Democrats just going after the president. And as you all know, CPAC is now taking place right now. Uh, CPAC is an annual conference that draws thousands of conservative activists to our nation's capital, uh, capital. And I will actually be part of a panel tomorrow dealing with this whole foundation upon which the impeachment uh, hoax began. And part of that whole uh, panel tomorrow uh, in, in getting it all going is Matt Boyle. Uh, and he is joining us now. Matt, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it so much.
7: Yeah. Hey, Congressman, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I think it's going to be really exciting and enlightening for the CPAC audience.
1: Well, I do, too. And thank you for your leadership in all of this. You have been on the front line, the tip of the spear with this whole impeachment hoax. So let's just talk a little bit about that. What what do we have in store with this panel and the discussion we'll be having tomorrow?
7: Yeah. So what we're going to be zoning in on, is so what the CPAC crew asked us to uh, to do here is that so uh, to kind of give a little bit a little bit of a perspective here, they're doing like a series of panels at CPAC. So I, I encourage everybody to watch the ones they've already done today, yesterday, and the ones that we'll, we'll do, and there'll uh, there'll be other ones tomorrow. Uh, exposing the coup against President Trump and different elements of it. So they've done things that zone in on Spygate. Uh, where they, uh, they wrongfully spied on the president's campaign in 2016. They've done things zoning in on what Adam Schiff did and the, the whole impeachment nonsense. Uh, they've done different things that, uh, have zoned in on different elements of this effort to try to take out President Trump over the course of, uh, the lead up to, uh, and then eventually him, uh, the lead up to him winning the presidency and then eventually During his administration, Uh, the angle that they've asked us to zone in on is Ukrainian efforts to interfere in the 2016 election. Now, Ukraine's new president, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, has been trying to clean up the corruption over there. and There have been a number of conversations that he's had with President Trump, and that was a big part of the reason why uh, President Trump, even withheld the aid, that whole thing led to the whole articles of impeachment because the Democrats were arguing that he was trying to get a political favor out of it. But he wasn't. He was trying to make sure that Ukraine was going to actually – not be corrupt with the money like we've seen in the past with the you know the barisma and so on and so forth uh, with the hunter Biden situation all that kind of stuff so um, but what we did find out uh, over the course of this investigation what we've seen uh, uh, is that Ukraine actually I mean, we hear a about Russia having interfered in the 2016 election uh, the establishment media doesn't tell us a story about you what Ukraine did to interfere in the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton uh, so they had There were a number of senior officials in the Ukrainian government uh, including their ambassador to the United States, who were engaged in open partisan politicking on behalf of Hillary Clinton attacking Donald Trump in the campaign in 2016. There were also actions that the uh, Ukrainian government took with regard to Paul Manafort, who was the cam- uh, at one point the campaign chairman for, for Donald Trump. And uh, he later had his own issues uh, that were separate from the, pre- uh, the president in his campaign. He's currently serving his uh, prison sentence. But that being said, um, Uh, This whole Black Ledger situation and uh, the story surrounding that is really important. And then perhaps uh, the most important part about this is that everybody likes to talk about when did this begin, when did the coup start, all this kind of stuff, and there's different elements of the – origins of the coup against president trump and i think the ukrainian interference in the 2016 election which at one point back in 2016 establishment media people actually admitted there was a, a seminal article in politico uh, by a reporter who now works for the new york times ken vogel uh that laid out how the uh uh laid out how the ukrainians were uh, uh, colluding with the democrat national committee and now the establishment media just whitewashes this like it never happened. so I think it's important that we talk about this and we uh, get the truth out there about it and uh, draw attention to it uh, as we continue to tell the story about what happened in the in the the most important the most important thing that we can do is lay out the why. Why were they doing this? Why were the Ukrainians doing this? And then why was there a broader coup attempt against President Trump? What is it about him that is so different? Uh, and the warrant, this reaction, uh, or the warrant maybe isn't the right word, that elicits this reaction from the deep state, from the left, from globalists. Uh, uh, forces is is because of the fact that President Trump's a change agent and because he's challenging the status quo on the world stage around the country and around the world. And uh, I think that that's why you see the left. That's why you see the, uh, the various forces that were in the previously corrupt Ukrainian government uh, that were engaged in these activities uh, against him in 2016. It's why you saw the broader coup attempt from the deep state, the Peter Shrux and Lisa Pages of the world and so on and so forth uh, that led to Comey, that led to Mueller, that led to Adam Schiff's nonsense impeachment.
1: Well, it's there's so many different directions that that we can take this thing, but really, what we're going to be discussing is that foundation. The uh, what started this whole thing, and you've touched on so much of it. There's uh, there's a lot of it getting into the weeds now. Some people, we've got about thirty seconds here or so, uh, Matt. But uh, how can people join CPAC if they're not actually there? Is there any way that they can watch?
7: I believe that CPAC on their website, which is CPAC.org, they're going to be having a live stream there. And we'll be carrying in on Breitbart, too. So if everybody wants to go to Breitbart.com, we can, we'll, they'll be able to follow that.
1: Outstanding. Matt Boyle with Breitbart News. Thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Coming up, a recent House hearing. In fact, it took place yesterday. It was entitled The Administration's Religious Liberty Assault on LGBTQ Rights. Unbelievable. It showed congressional Democrats disdain for religious liberties. We'll talk to Mary Beth Waddell and Hiram Sasser, both with First Liberty and F. In the U.S.,
3: the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy in the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion.
4: China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org China.
5: What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at FRCblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, Transgender Regret The Rise of the Detransitioners and many more Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com
0: What other trip to Israel can you take that combines walking where Jesus walked with meeting today's Israeli leaders? This is Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council inviting you to spend an incredible nine days in Israel with me General Jerry Boykin and former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman from June the 2nd through the 12th. You'll discover the roots of your faith and learn from experts about the geopolitical landscape of the region. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com or call 844-872-5155. You're listening to Washington Watch. Jody
1: Heiss filling in for Tony Perkins. Thank you for joining us today. Yesterday, the House of Representatives held a congressional hearing, and we saw in that that Democrats, let me just tell you the title of this. I think the title of the hearing says it all. The title was called The Administration's Religious Liberty Assault on LGBTQ Rights. You've got to hear that again. The Administration's Religious Liberty Assault on LGBTQ Rights. I've just got to tell you, it showed an incredible disdain for religious liberties. The, the hearing did everything from attack President Trump for protecting religious liberties and faith-based adoption agencies, among other faith-based groups. And amazingly, amazingly, Democrats even cited scripture to support their attacks. Joining me in the studio is Mary Beth Waddell, who is FRC's senior legislative assistant. And joining us by phone is Hiram Sasser he is the executive general counsel for First Liberty Institute uh, and both of you were a part of the hearing yesterday Mary Beth let's begin with you what were your overall thoughts of it all
8: I appreciate your work in that hearing uh, it was really sad to see sort of this reverse attack the attack on religious liberty that ultimately has, real consequences for people's lives, you know, that they're wanting to attack religious liberty. And it's not just about religion. It's about children in need who need as many services as possible in the adoption system, helping them and just sort of forgetting that perspective.
1: It was, you know, it was was quite stunning to me to see the whole thing. Before I give some of my thoughts, uh, Hiram Sasser, you were a hero there being one of the panelists giving answers. in fact you were ganged up on you were one one out of uh, uh four different uh, individuals and you were the only one standing for religious liberties according to the constitution thank you for joining us on washington watch
6: well thanks for having me i mean if they have you surrounded they can't get away from you
1: mm-hmm. I, well that's a good that's a good point and that's exactly the position you held yourself in what You know, what were your thoughts being there? What was the the tone of it all from your perspective as it relates specifically to the attacks on religious liberty?
6: Well, I I think that the exchange that I had with Representative Christian uh, Murthy really uh, uh, sort of revealed the whole thing. I mean, if you you recall that, you know, he he, he was advocating for and did not back down from and embraced that the government can – Make people say things that are against their religious convictions. The, the, the government can use force to engage in, uh, in in compelled speech. I mean, that's not an argument that, uh, that that we've seen in this country in in a in a long, long time. And uh, it is it is a it's a very scary argument. But uh, he kind of held his ground on that, which was very surprising.
1: It's extremely surprising. In fact, with that, and I I want to come back, Mary Beth, to you as well. But, uh, you know, when you go back and you look at history, it was actually the Christian community that started the effort to reach out to uh, take care of children in need. And in our first panel, uh, Mike Kelly, representative from Pennsylvania, actually stated so. I believe we have a clip from Mike. Uh, Let's listen to this.
0: What is it that we're trying to do, and what is this hearing about? And I would just submit to my friends on both sides of the aisle and across the country, this is about providing loving homes for children who are put in a position that they don't have a loving mother and father. And I would suggest that if we look at the very beginning of that, it all started in the faith-based community.
1: It all started in the faith-based community. Uh, Mayor Beth, what, I thought that was a powerful statement uh, that that helped begin this whole hearing uh, of course, the Democrats shifted away from that message right quickly, but that, that was a great opening statement.
8: Absolutely. His entire statement was wonderful, and that's so true. Catholic Charities has been in this business for a century or more. It wasn't until you know, the 50s and Social Security Act that government began to get involved in this foster care and adoption system. So they, they're the ones that the government had to go to for the expertise of how do you do this, how should we run this system
1: yeah and now hiram as you mentioned now we're seeing representatives in congress literally state that the government can come after uh individuals who hold to these views that have been a part of our nation since its founding it's kind of it kind of makes you scratch your head and wonder where have we lost our way
6: yeah it, it's it's really outrageous and what the other thing i don't think that it, they they seem to have an understanding of is that is that if, if it's not like you'll be able to tell all of these uh, uh, religious and faith-based organizations to just, you know, follow the government's uh, uh, dictates or else. Uh, There was actually a study that the Christian Medical Association uh, did, and and 91% of faith-based doctors uh, would leave the field if uh they they were required to violate their religious beliefs in order to continue on with their profession so it's not this sort of this game of like well okay uh, all of them will will toe to our party line no no they will just leave and quit And what will happen to the hundreds of thousands, of, especially children in our foster care system, if uh, all of the faith-based entities that are involved simply left the field, there is not enough government assistance, there's not enough funds to replace that.
1: Absolutely. That's a great point. I'll tell you an experience I had after the hearing, uh, and I won't won't mention names right here, but after the hearing I actually went to one of the – Democrats, who is quite vocal on the other side of this whole thing, and just trying to uh, build bridges and trying to just uh, continue conversation. And I was uh, shot down pretty quickly in that that conversation. And one of the complaints is, you Christians, all you folks, you're just so discriminatory. You you are just trying to discriminate against everyone who disagrees with you. And uh, it went on and said that his big uh issue is that those who receive any federal funds should not be allowed to discriminate against anyone. I'd like to hear from both of you how you would respond to that argument, which we hear frequently. Anyone receiving government funds should not be allowed to discriminate.
8: Um. One of the things that I think precipitated this hearing was the nine rules that just came out from nine different agencies level the, leveling the playing field for faith-based organizations that want to be contractors or grantees. And basically what you're seeing is saying... It's the same level playing field and you all must abide by the Civil Rights Act by all of these other federal non-discrimination laws those are not exempted from faith-based organizations they're wanting to change those discrimination laws
1: to their own purposes Wow great point Hiram how would you uh, respond to that
6: yeah well my, my response is twofold first uh, the, uh, the 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 very the very argument that they are advancing has been rejected multiple times by the Supreme Court in various different contexts. And in fact, uh, there's been so little support for that type of argument that it's almost laughable. But secondly, I don't understand what happened to uh, the people who want to, uh, to, to advance this. I mean, it's mostly the Democrats that are wanting to uh, uh, try to take away the religious freedom and the religious rights of the or- faith-based organizations. When President Clinton was the one that actually championed in his speech that people of faith and organizations of faith do not have to abandon their faith and abandon the field, that we want them to be able to bring their values to the table in quote, to heal our troubled land— uh, you know it 's just amazing to me that uh, that the Democrats have sort of lost their way on this and are are going down this this really dark path that you have to abandon all of your religious beliefs in order to participate in public society
1: yeah, that really is frightening, and that is the direction this whole movement is taking us and I was personally shocked uh, taken aback from some of the democrats' use of scripture. Uh, And scripture references and really twisting it. We've got Mm -hmm. one example from AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Let's listen to this.
5: If
4: Christ himself walked through these doors and said what he said thousands of years ago, that we should love our neighbor and our enemy, that we should welcome the stranger, fight for the least of us, he would be maligned as a radical and rejected from these doors.
1: Wow. So if Christ showed up, he would be maligned with the, specifically the Republicans, because we are filled with hate and we, we uh, just hate anyone who disagrees with us. Amazing how this twisting of scripture came up. Mayor Beth, what, what are your thoughts with that? You You heard it.
8: Yeah. Catholic charities and faith-based organizations are trying to exemplify exactly what she's talking about. They're trying to exemplify the love of Jesus and being there and fighting for the least of these. And they are being maligned. The You saw the attack on them in this very hearing, in this very room, you know. And so that's just, it's really wild to
1: see. It, it is. Uh, and Uh, Hiram, you were you were there listening to some of this stuff. I know it was. It becomes very difficult to swallow when you're listening to some of these comments. What were your thoughts while these were coming?
6: Well, uh, while she was talking, I just thought, yeah, if Jesus came in the room and said, "I am not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it," he definitely would be stoned, uh, but uh, by a different crowd than she had anticipated.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I, and there's you know this is we could have a whole other. Uh, program dealing with this one issue it is uh, across the board. But we're seeing more and more, I would say probably at least twice this week alone, I have heard Scripture used from the other side of the aisle. And it's just absolutely amazing how, and I'm talking two different times. Of course, yesterday it occurred uh, more than once. But you're beginning to see more and more of this use of Scripture. But also is the use of history, legal argument, our Constitution. Jamie Raskin uh, places himself, and he he is, I guess, a constitutional scholar. He taught the Constitution uh, in law school. But listen to this clip of how he approaches this whole argument.
0: Restaurant owners, lunch counter owners, department store owners made precisely this same First Amendment claim, invoking either religious freedom or the freedom of association. And they said that if you're making me serve black customers or interracial parties, you're violating my religious freedom because we believe that this is uh, fundamentally offensive to our religious
2: system. So we don't want to use our restaurant or department store or hotel or motel or lunch counter in this way.
1: All right, Hiram, let's begin with you. This was He was referring to the period of time back in the 60s. All right, where religious liberties supposedly were used uh, to discriminate against blacks, uh, what is the role of religious liberties and the role of government to protect those religious liberties? And how do you respond to this statement from Jamie Raskin?
6: Well, first, uh, I mean, you know, with all due respect to Chairman Raskin, uh, his grasp of, of of the law is 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 is, is, a, is a little short because. He actually misquoted uh, Justice Scalia during the during the argument saying that somehow Justice Scalia had overturned the Religious Freedom Restoration Act when in reality the case he was referring to was Employment Division versus Smith from 1990 and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was in 1993 which was in fact for the purpose of Congress overturning Justice Scalia and that was the uh, the uh, it was sort of the reverse of that but uh, so so you sort of have to be suspicious of the source of the Great legal catch. Uh, the second thing, though, is that he—I uh, uh, think he—to he, 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 be fair, uh, there were maybe a couple of those types of claims uh, during the '60s. But by and large, the religious community fought for abolition of slavery. The religious community fought for civil rights. It was—you it, it, know—not to get political, but I mean, the, 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 the Republican Party was founded in part. To abolish uh, slavery, and uh, and so uh, you know, for him to invoke that sort of history uh, uh, ignores the fact that it was the church that fought for freedom and equality uh, against those uh, who would oppress their brother.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Mary Beth, how do you respond to this whole issue of Christian and discrimination and hiding? That's the word I hear over and over and over, that over we supposedly are hiding behind religious liberties for the sole purpose of discriminating. Uh,
8: that's entirely not true. Like I, w- The things that they portray as, quote-unquote, denial of services has not really... The proper framing like the we, there was a lot of discussion about Pennsylvania and adoption there. But There's also uh, an adoption case out of Michigan where the Catholic Charities was specifically targeted. Uh, the couple had to pass two or three other agencies to get to them. And that agency actually had placed LGBT children or had transferred those children to be processed, to be adopted by LGBT individuals. So this denial isn't really a flat-out denial, and it's completely separate issues than sexual orientation, gender identity, and race.
1: All right, so let's go back in the last couple of minutes or less that we have. Kind of the takeaway from the the hearing, I guess, uh, somewhat, but from a more broad perspective, the takeaway that we need to have as Christians across this country as it relates to the attacks upon religious liberty. Uh, Mary Beth, I'll begin with you.
8: I think... We do need to continue to respond in, in love, but truth in love and continue to push back and show the, the truth about RIFRA. You know, the, the Do No Harm Act was brought up that would completely gut RIFRA. And, and I actually found an article from 2015 in the Washington Post that's like, whenever RIFRA has been used, it's actually been more beneficial to non-religious complainants, like two to one. Whereas, you know, if you have a, a Christian or religious complainant, it's, um, was just 1-0. And, and so this, we need to have this proper understanding and continue to have this proper
1: education of pushing back. All right. Hiram, how would you close out speaking to Christians across the country?
6: I would close out that uh, government power is your, is your enemy and that we serve a power higher than ourselves. And uh, we need to keep uh, that Declaration of Independence uh, alive and well.
1: Thank you so much. Jody Heiss filling in for Tony Perkins today on Washington Watch. We'll see you next time.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.